Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm Mike. We got Josh and Tim here. How you guys doing? Hello, hello. Doing good. Doing great, man. Yeah, man. It's Thursday night. Bengals, Browns. I'm Apple really hyped for this game. We talked about it a little with our uh, with our guest, which actually won't be this episode. So you guys will be listening to a different episode, but you'll be hearing us talk about Bengals, Browns in a future episode that releases. I think, oh, yeah. Yeah. See, it's going to be in the future. But uh, I think I think Joey Burrow and the Bengals take it to the Browns tonight. Oh, I told you I was going to give you I real know, quick. You, yeah, I'll give yeah. you some. I was, I was feeding you this. You know, you, yeah. you wanted to talk about it. I did this, want so. to talk about it. So I, I thought like you, I didn't even watch most of that game because it was the first weekend of, of, of football and there were so much better games to watch, honestly. They lost by over 30 points. Yeah, the, and the, I was like, the Ravens, they're done. Are you talking about the, the Browns? The Browns, Ravens. Yeah, the game, Ravens yes. crushed them. But I dug into it. Mm-hmm. And I, I was the first one to hate. I'm not a Browns fan. Okay. I'm a Giants fan. And we, we had a rough we had a rough go too. But Saquon had six yards. Yeah. But the Browns had six fumbles all of last year. They had three in that game alone, mm-hmm. right? OBJ, who for the for the Giants was a stud for a long time, had 10 targets. Tim's, Tim's got alarms going off, Sorry, guys. yeah, I got to get Tim. out of here. Um, he had 10 targets, just no completions. Yeah. Baker sucked. So if Baker can be just slightly more efficient than he was... They did everything they should have done. They just, all of it failed. And it's very rare when you put that level of professionals together. So if they can get half the targets, um, and Joku's on IR now, so they have Austin Hooper they signed. Austin Hooper's going to have two touchdowns tonight. Baker Mayfield's going to throw three, one to OBJ, two to Austin Hooper, and I think that they're going to pull off a win. Okay. And statistically in the NFL, when a team opens the season that poorly, they not only regress back to, they actually like exceed. So as bad as they do, they should do better. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. I, I mean, And I, just the amount of turnovers that they had. So if they can just fail 50% less, mm-hmm. they'll set themselves up to score. You heard it here first. Yep. Tim's calling the win. But so I'm sure today, nobody cared about that right, at all. Right, but right. I'm real excited. He's, Somebody he's did. Somebody did. There's, I'm sure there's there's a ton of Browns fans listening that are very very ecstatic. But today on the show, you guys will be listening to an interview with John Egner, and John is the founder of Jamie Hospitality. He's got 45 years of experience working in professional sports, casinos, hotel resorts, hospitality type businesses, and uh, it's it's a great interview. John is a really interesting guy. He's done a lot of things in his life, and he's met a lot of interesting people. So I think. Uh, Everybody's going to enjoy this episode. Yeah, I think, I think it was really cool not only to hear the story about how he created the company and, and how it grew, but then uh, his perspective on you know what facilities are going to look like in the future, especially with COVID going on right now, and his take on on where the industry is going in particular was was pretty interesting. And um, it's coincided with a couple of companies out there that are being created right now. The one by uh, Travis, whatever the dude from Uber, who's creating this um, autonomous kitchen style situation. So yeah, I think, I think people get a lot out of it and find it pretty interesting. Yeah. So, uh, hope you guys enjoy it and we'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Today on the show, Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that. Live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Olman. There's this genuine 
pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24-7, 365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm Mike. We got Josh over there. Josh, how you doing today? I'm doing good, dude. I'm doing good. We got the dog with us again, so hopefully I don't have any mid-episode interruptions. Last last time, Johnny weren't here. We were. She was doing good in the corner. I didn't have her tied to anything. The next thing I know, I feel paws on my on my thigh, and she's like totally in the in the microphone, and she's a part of the interview. So. No, she was cool. like she was like on his lap, like trying to get into the interview. But uh, that voice you hear there, and, and that John you mentioned, so. Today on the show, we're joined by John Egnor, and he's the founder and president of JME Hospitality. Since the company's beginnings in 1989, JME Hospitality has designed over 4,000 hospitality projects. And John shares a vision of aligning hospitality design and operations to help food service facility owners, operators, and development professionals maximize profitability and customer experience. We're excited to have John on the show today to learn more about what it takes to design a hospitality project and what their team is working on today. So welcome to Conquering Columbus, John. Yeah, thanks very much. I appreciate it. And I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, it's Looking forward to it. Yeah. So yeah, typically one of the first places we like to start is just get a little bit of background on you. So maybe tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how you got into just the hospitality environment in general, college, all that sort of thing. So I actually started in hospitality very early in my life. Um, I'm born and raised in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Um, it's a summer shore community. So there's a lot of hospitality five months out of the year. And then the other seven months, you just kind of figure out what to do. But, uh, my dad used to lease hotels and restaurants in the summer and I have 10 brothers and sisters. So we were the in-house staff. Um, so I was at a very early age, you know, I was carrying bags to rooms at five, six, seven, eight years old, making beds at nine, 10, you know, and working the front desk. And then the restaurants, I'd work in the kitchen, dishwashing, serving, cooking. I've always been in the hospitality industry. And to me, you know, being part of service is really great because I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing, seeing people that, uh, that have a smile on their face after you've provided some level of service, you know, whatever that might be. And, you know, from there, I worked on fishing boats. Uh, I was a lifeguard for nine years on the beach in Atlantic City. That was a great experience. Uh, and then, uh, went into, uh, after college, went into construction, um, taught for a year and a half first, then went into construction. Atlantic city was just starting the gaming industry. Having had that hospitality background as I got into the, the, the construction side and learning the hotels that were being built in the casinos. And that was a, you know, virgining, um, facility or virgining market in Atlantic city at the time. I was on the ground floor. So I just, you know, listened to people, talked to them and, and, uh, we got involved in it. And then finally I got into, um, did a little bit of design work, design build work for kitchens. And since I knew how kitchens worked, you know, I could speak the language. Um, and there's always a language for every trade or every discipline that you're in. And once you learn their language, they start to trust you. And, and that trust is what gives you that ability to then, they think you have the knowledge and, and you do because you've worked in the industry. But um, one thing led to another and someone said to me, hey, do you want to do design work? Um, and I said, sure. And my first client in 1989, 1990 was Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut, which at the time was just beginning Native American Casino. 
We worked up there for 18 years, uh, the largest casino in the world uh, at that time. And uh, just the casino industry kind of drove me for the first 20 years of my experience. So, it's, so, you, so, uh, so are you doing project management when you first get out? I'm kind of interested in what the timeline looks like. Any Anytime somebody starts a business, so how long did they get normal experience before they became and branched off and became an entrepreneur? And what exactly was the experience as you, as you progressed? So in the construction industry, we had a, a, a mechanical contracting HVAC company and, and I'm pretty astute at, at fixing things and, and working with things. And I can kind of watch somebody do it and I can do it. That's how I've always been that way. So I learned a lot through that and they put me in charge of service. So I ran the service business for them, you know, coming out to your house and fixing your air conditioner or stopping, unstopping your toilet, whatever it might be. And um, so the service industry and knowing the business, learning the business kind of worked along and helped me. And then I got into a, um, a little stint of three years with a sheet metal contractor and we started a business doing kitchens. So I worked for them for three years doing design build. So I would design it, build it. I'd go in and talk with the chefs. They'd say, you know, I want to you know, change my chef's counter. I want to move my mise en place over here. I want to put my cooking over here, you know, and one thing led to another and I was building that business for them. And um, I always wanted to do my own thing somewhere, whether it was in, in my own restaurant or my own construction company or whatever it might be. And uh, an architect and an engineer I was working with on work in Atlantic City uh, said to me one day, listen, we've got this project and we want you to design it. And I said, well, do you want me to design it or the company I was with? And they said, no, we want you to design it. And I said, you mean there's a job to just design? <laughs> it's like going in the, you know, you're down here getting paid. The last guy to get paid is a contractor. And you're going up here to the first guy to get paid before they even build the building. And I said, sure. And um, they introduced me to another guy who brought over the money. The money was from Malaysia, the first casino. They lent, lent the money to the Native Americans. And... Uh, it was, uh, it just started. So I said, I'll start the business. And, and I asked my mom for 20,000. <laughs> she said, sure. And uh, I started the business and I never looked back from there. I mean, just one job after another job after another job. And it, it, this is unique side of the business because there aren't that many people that do food service design. Um, at the time, close to 40, you know, 30 some years ago, there were probably 200 companies in the world that did what I did. Um, and it just continued to grow. So now there's probably about 5,000 or so. Um, I think all of those guys worked for me at one time. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, like, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And uh, if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Was your degree in design or background? Or did you have like, like, is it, are you doing that in CAD or what kind of format system were you doing? So there were no computers when I went to school. So <laughs> I was the pre-computer guy. My background is, I was pre-med for three years at LaSalle University and in, in LaSalle College then in Philadelphia. But I was also on a swimming scholarship. So I didn't study a lot. I swam more than I studied. 
Hmm. Um, and swimming's intense. I mean, probably multiple practices per day. Yeah, probably, two, probably two a day. Life. Yeah, yeah. Doing 10, 15,000 yards a day. It was, um, it was tough. So, and you don't, you don't get much time to yourself and you really beat when you're done. And, and, uh, we used to finish up at, uh, about seven o'clock and the, and the cafeteria was closed. So the most I would get sometimes is I get a sleeve of saltines. And I don't know if you remember those butter pads that had the paper and, and I get a big sleeve of butter pads and a case of saltines. And that's what made my dinner. <laughs> uh, and I didn't study after that. I went right to sleep because I had to get up at five o'clock, get back in the pool. So I was pre-med. I knew I wasn't going to be a doctor. It just wasn't in the cards. I didn't have the grades, you know, like a mid-C average. Uh, so I switched my uh, major, my senior year to sociology and graduated, went to work. There were no jobs in 76. I don't know if you, well, you guys weren't even born in 76, probably. <laughs> but uh, I went from there. I went to um, teaching at the old high school I went to. Um, and then got into construction, my, um, my first wife's family. And uh, I started in about 84 when CAD was just coming out and I started to learn it myself. And that was the first program we used, AutoCAD. But I started originally drawing by hand on the board um, with a pencil on Mylar paper. What's a pencil? What's well, a pencil? Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> It's amazing. I don't, all the stuff I had then, you know, the pencils, the erasers, all the things that you had don't exist anymore. Everything mm -hmm. is on the computer. I mean, I, we buy new computers every three years. It's just the technology keeps mm -hmm. advancing and advancing. What I always wonder about is like, imagine like being the pencil manufacturer and you're like, yeah, we're set forever. Like people are always going to use pencils. No one's ever going to stop using pencils. And now you look at today, it's like, I wonder what happened to them. They must've pivoted, right? They do something else now, right? Hopefully made enough pencils they could retire. Right. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> so, so have you always considered yourself more of a creative? I assume that design takes uh, more of a, like an imaginative mindset and, and creativeness, or is that not the case? Oh, no, I, I, I feel I'm very creative. And I take the reality of what's there to create things that aren't there. So, you know, people that are creative, they can, an artist, for example, they can draw a picture or paint a picture and there's nothing there except for what they think. I can look at an operation and watch people work and find creative ways to improve their ability to function better. So it relates to, you know, needing less space or less labor, which eventually saves money for the owner. And that's what I've always built my abilities on. And then sometimes someone will say, well, I want to create a new restaurant or I want to have a new restaurant and I want it to be an open kitchen. Um, you know, what do you think? I'll just say, hey, what if we do this and this and this, you know? And and I've had some fun creating some really cool spaces. Do you think that creativity is um, assisted or or you're provided support by your experiences that go into it? I mean, your ability to be creative and find these optimal solutions to these work environments and the process that people are going through comes from years of you being able to do this? Or have you always just been able to walk into an environment and watch the operations and the processes and just understand this is the most efficient way and this way it should be designed and, and, and let's move forward? I think there's certain abilities that you're born with and that you have and that are inside you. And it's your experiences in life that bring them out. I was fortunate enough to have a lot of experiences that forced me to be creative um, and forced me to think outside the box. So I can walk into a situation and, and evaluate um, what's going on fairly quickly. And if it's a situation I've never been in before, I believe that if you listen, because listening is probably the most important thing that you can do to in any situation. 
if you listen to the people that are talking and, and, and interacting in that situation, you learn their language. And when you learn their language, like I mentioned before, the language of the kitchen, everything has a language. If you're an attorney, they have a language. If you're a, a, a gardener, you have a language. It, and a doctor has a language. If you learn how they speak and what they talk about and, and how they use those words, you can then use those words in a conversation with them. And it gives you instant credibility. Doesn't mean that I'm going to be as smart as they would ever be. I'm just going to take what they see and I'm going to repackage it into something that they don't see, but they know. Most people, when I work for someone, they know what they want. They just don't know how to get there. And it's my job to take their knowledge and how they say it and get them there. And that's how I look at it. So coming back to where we're at in the story, right? You had just gotten a job from a friend and said, hey, yeah, you start your own business, right? So you're like, okay, yeah, let's go start a business. And you go from being an individual working at a company to running the show, doing all the design. I'm sure everything went smooth. Oh yeah. From the start, there was never any problems, right? (laughs) Now you learn all the things that you don't know very quickly. Um, You know, I thought I knew how things worked. I thought, you know, I'll use an example. And if you guys have been to the casinos around here and I did Toyota and I did Hollywood and the buffet is always a big thing in a casino. You know, everybody talks about the buffet. So this first casino I'm doing wants to have a buffet. And um, I'm like, yeah, I, I know how to do that. It's no problem. I just, it's counters and and hot wells and cold wells and and you put them together. And um, fortunately I have a very strong background in construction and mechanical and plumbing and everything. So I was able to get that side pretty good, but I got caught up in the, what's the service piece look like? What's that bowl? And where's the bowl going to go? And and so I designed it so it would all run really good, but I had no idea about the serving pieces and about how the food was presented and how that was going to interact with what I was designing. So I learned when the chef told me that I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> um, but he was pretty good. I worked with some really good chefs over the years that have taught me a lot. And a lot of the people I worked with back in the late 80s and the 90s are now presidents of casino companies. And I worked with them and they were uh, maitre d's or they were warehouse managers. Um, they've come up through the industry. So it's really pretty cool to pick up the phone and call somebody at, you know, one of these casino operations and say, Hey, how you doing? I haven't talked to you in a while, but you know, and then of course the more people, you know, the more work, as long as you take care of them and you do their work, that's how you get more and more work. So how did the business grow and evolve though? I mean, we start, we start with that first job. I'm assuming that's when you realized, okay, I'm kind of doing this solo. I can turn this into a company and then it's great. That's, that's a cool idea. But how do we actually start to get people underneath us and get more jobs? How do, how do things evolve from that zero to one phase? So when you, you start that one job and it's a pretty prestigious job. I mean, nobody really starts a company and has a job that they're going to have for 18 years. It's just, I mean, but, but the people I worked with were great people and, and they just wanted to continue to grow and do other things. So they just drug me along, so to speak. I realized that I had to have more staff because I couldn't be doing the creative side of it and the actual physical drawing side of it and creating the documents. Um, And then there was the business side of it, which was payroll and the accounting and the administrative and all those things. So I hired my first person probably about six months in um, and she was with me for 26 years. And then the next person and, and, And in my business, there's nobody that goes to school for this. 
So I had to hire people that were either architecturally trained or were servers or cooks and teach them how to use the computer. So, and I've had great success on both sides. And at one point, you know, we grew and and the first year we did like 15 jobs and then it was 30 jobs and a hundred jobs and 200 jobs. And it just doubled and tripled in, in its need. So I went from office to office to office and, Back in 2015, I was up to 36 people um, and we were doing work all over the world and, and traveling and it just got to be, it was a lot. So I kind of, you know, the economy kind of went south in 15 anyway. So I took the opportunity to kind of reorganize and, and create the hospitality side. And now I'm fairly selective in my clients and, and I don't do, I don't need to do a th- 200 jobs a year. Um, I just do the jobs that I want to do for people. And I do a lot of pro bono stuff. I do a lot of free work for different organizations. Did the uh, a homeless center for men down in um, in uh, Troy. And, and I helped out over here at the Star House. I don't know if it's a, a center for homeless girls. It's called the Star House. It's right over here in Columbus. So I did that for them. And then did the Schoenbaum Center, which was an educational facility for younger kids. And, and it's part of the, um, it's over on Somerset. I think there's a school over there, grammar school. You know, we help them out and get them equipment and do the design for them. So I, I believe in giving back. I also believe that every client, every job I ever did is mine forever. You know, you, I have people call me up. I did work for 30 years ago and they'll say, Hey, you did this job. Do you remember this piece or can you get me the drawings that you had when you did this? Cause I were going to renovate and yeah, I mean, whatever they want, just got to take care of them. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So you're up with 36 people, you're traveling the world. What are what are some of the coolest, most interesting places that really stick out to you where you're just like, wow, that, that was an amazing experience? Wow, that's a tough one. <laughs> Wasn't on the outline, so... Yeah, Josh thought of that one. Uh, yeah, um, actually, I, I we did about six jobs in in um, England and Scotland. Um, most of those were um, football, not in football, but football, rugby stadiums or, or soccer stadiums, where they were putting casinos in. Um, and it was cool to travel um, England and Scotland. That was really cool. I liked doing that a lot. Um, did some work in um, in uh, the south of France, which was pretty neat as well. Um, yeah, I. I got to go to a lot of places. I tell people sometimes, yeah, I've been to Australia for 12 hours. Hmm. I flew over, went to a meeting and flew back. That's longer flying time than you're on the land, isn't it? 23 hours each way. (laughs) Were you you frustrated about that or was it, did did the meeting work out well? It worked out great. It was, it was a client that, um, that just needed me to come in and and look at something and then write them a report. But it's the opportunity, you know, to do these things. I've never said no to anybody. Um, I just did a little job down and before we closed, the world closed, um, I just did a little job down in Curacao, um, which is pretty neat. Nice hotel that was just redone. And I went down and looked at some things for a friend of mine that uh, hooked me up with a job. I We did, I don't know if you've ever been to Freeport, but um, there are three hotels down there. And uh, I was lucky enough to get the job to renovate all three of those hotels um, with an architectural firm in Dallas and uh, spent three and a half years down in Freeport. I mean, I wasn't there every day, but I'd fly in every other week for a couple of days. 
It was, and I had an office in Vegas, so I was out in Vegas every week. I'd fly, I'd fly out on Monday and fly back on Wednesday. And we did Paris Hotel and New York, New York. We did work there and a lot of the other wind properties and and uh, Shelley Allison's properties and it's just properties. It's it's uh, it's been great because it's unique enough field that there aren't that many people. So I get I got to experience a lot of different opportunities. Probably my favorite job was the job I did for the Seminole Indians in Florida at the uh, at their property at Hollywood. I did a project there called Council Oaks, which was a, <clears throat> a restaurant um, that was steakhouse that we did. Um, and the one we did actually was in Tampa. It was in our other property, but it was a unique property. They wanted to create this sort of special steakhouse restaurant that had an open kitchen. And we did it in a tiered dining room that was like a theater and you could see the kitchen and the kitchen was all white marble and glass and stainless. It was really turned out pretty good. And that was, you know, the guy trusted me enough to say, Hey, we want to do this. Why don't you create something? And that's what I did. So it worked out pretty well and it's still there. I talked to him the other day. His name is Dave Miller. He's a great friend of mine. He'll be out at the Indianapolis 500 for the 45th time. I think Hmm. he trusted me enough to, let me do that. And I talked to him the other day. He's just, he's getting ready to retire. So yeah, that's, you know, I probably have forgotten more jobs than I've done. But you're, you're over the course of those, those several years, and I'm sure uh, a tremendous amount has changed. But as you look back, are there are high level changes across the industry that you notice that are pretty significant? And do you notice a trend on where things are going, especially with COVID that's happened right now? The trend has been for the last 15 or 20 years is to to try and reduce the size of kitchens because the cost of kitchens is high. And by reducing the size, you also will reduce your workforce. So you're trying to get money out of the back of house and transfer it into the front of house where you're making your money um, with that personal contact. The dishwasher doesn't really go out front, but the server is constantly talking with your people. And, you know, if you can take some money from the back of house and put it in the front of house and give them a little better salary decor it a little bit differently, you create that image where you get people coming in. That transition is happening and continues to happen. The COVID thing, I don't think it's played out yet. I think that we're still wondering what we're going to do. Everybody said, well, we're not going to have buffets anymore. We're not going to have this and we have to have touchless service. And I think until we get a vaccine and we get a handle on it and we get people more comfortable with it, we're not really going to see the changes. So I'm I'm hesitant to, to make changes because I don't know where those changes are going to go yet. And I think making the wrong change because of the cost, you know, we're going, we went from a hundred miles an hour to 10 miles an hour and you, our economy was built on hundred miles an hour. So if I say I'm going to come back to 50 miles an hour, it's not going to help anybody because they can't afford it. And then that means we have to raise our prices and we raise our prices. Then we get into inflation and this whole thing starts to turn and go sideways so I'm going to wait another six months to a year to see where we wind up with before. I, I would like to think we either get a vaccine or this plays itself out and we can all get back to being normal. But that normal's not good. It's not a new normal. It's just normal again. Um, so I, th- I think the, the term new normal is way overused. I, I, don't, I don't believe in the new normal. I believe in let's get just back to normal again. So as the push from moving from the back of the house to the front of the house and putting more emphasis there and reallocating the capital, you obviously you can only optimize your processes so much in the back, I would assume, and then you're going to start moving towards automation or, or some form. Is there a push towards automation within the kitchen? Is there is there the ability to automate a lot of things that are being done back there? And is it changing the way that you're designing? There's automation 
in that you create different pieces of equipment that can do multiple things. You know, I'll use the microwave as an example. But the invented the microwave, gee, it can do all this stuff. Uh, we went into the combi ovens that could do, you know, baking as well as steaming. And, and, and now we're into the high-speed ovens, which are a combination of microwave, baking, and steaming. I mean, remembering that food has to be cooked. Unless you want sushi, then it doesn't have to be cooked. But there's only certain, you know, a fryer fries, a saute pan sautés, and, and, and that's how chefs create the food and the flavor. I don't think that will ever change. So if you want to create it that way, you're going to be stuck with a certain amount of equipment and a certain amount of space that you need. I think what's going to change is more behind the scenes. We're talking with people right now about creating commissaries that produce to a, a recipe. So let's say you own a restaurant and it's an Italian restaurant and you've got 20 items on your menu. And right now to make those 20 items, you prep all day long to cut up all the product and create all the you know, the things that go into those those menus, all the chopping of garlic and the basil and all that. Um, so that takes staff and space and and it costs you money. But if I, you can take my recipe and go to a guy who says, listen, I can make those for you and I can make you a finished entree. Um, and I don't know if you've seen the, the uh, commercials on TV now where the little girl's sitting there and she opens up and eats this and says, honey, we don't have to cook anymore. And I don't know if you've seen those commercials, but um the issue is that she doesn't have to cook anymore because here it is. I just threw it in the microwave or whatever, and and I opened it up and it was delicious. Our ability to do that is getting better and better and better. And that's where technology comes in. And that's how we produce and how we can vacuum seal it or gas pack it or whatever it might be. That at some point in time, you're going to go to a restaurant and you're not going to see the kitchen. And in the kitchen, there's going to be a bunch of refrigerators and a bunch of drawers. And, and there's going to be the veal parmesan and the veal scallopini and the, you know, the the Swiss chard. This, all these other different things are going to be in there. And their chef's just going to open it up. He's going to either sous vide it in a, a water bath or he's going to throw it into a, a high-speed oven. I won't use the term microwave or a combi oven. And he's going to, it's going to come out in three to five minutes He's going to peel the side off. He's going to take a pair of tongs. He's going to assemble it on a nice plate. He's going to throw a sauce on it and he's going to send it out to you and you won't know the difference. And that's where we're going, I think, at some point in time. Now, there will still be class chefs that do it right and do it that way. But I think that there'll be a certain amount of that that has to come because there's a lot of people to eat. We're not going to have enough restaurants to do it and we have to keep our costs down. So, I think you're going to see a lot of that start to happen now. It happens. It's out there now. You go to the grocery store and you can buy, you know, um, healthy choice meals that you throw in the microwave. There's other guys that have other stuff that you put out there. So it's there. It's just a question of how we mainstream it because right now it's not ready to be mainstreamed. And it's a big capital investment to do a commissary. You need a lot of, a lot of revenue to pay for the cost. So we do commissaries for big hospital groups that have 25 hospitals and we'll put one place in and we cook the food in one location and we ship it to all the other hospitals. But that's, I think, where we're going eventually. Hey there, Conquerors. We want to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Studio 301. Kyle and his team have helped us redesign our website, taking the podcast in a new direction that we truly love. And we have some incredible guests here on the show. And Studio 301 has given us a website that reflects the caliber of the people that join us. And the Studio 301 team can help you with everything from brand strategy and redesigns to market research, videography, social media overhauls, and a whole lot more. You can go check them out at studio301.org. That's studio301.org. 
over your time in hospitality and just in life in general, you've done a lot of different things. Are there any particular lessons you've learned throughout all those experiences that stand out to you? I would say that the biggest lesson I've learned is that you never stop learning, that every experience that you have, every opportunity that you have creates the opportunity to learn. So that's what I'd say probably the biggest thing I've gotten out of all this is that every time I talk to somebody, like even you guys today, I'm learning. You know, we had a brief conversation before we started and we just, I learned a little bit about you. We talked about San Diego. We talked about some other things and I learned a little bit more. That's probably the biggest thing that I've, I've gotten out of this. It's not, I can cook. I love to cook. I'm a really good cook. <laughs> I have fun cooking. I learned that from this business, from spending time with chefs. But that's to me, not what I'm, that's not the end of it. It's continuing and it continues every day. What about, you know, as you look over the course of your career, I was going to ask this earlier, but it's kind of maybe a self-reflection point, work-life balance. I mean, constantly traveling, you're growing a business, you're traveling the world. What did that look like for you? Were you able to balance that? You know, what did, what was the personal life? Yeah, it's a long story and it's not too happy sometimes, but it's pretty happy. I mean, I, so I got married when I was 24, I guess, and yeah, 24, 25 and uh, was married for 28 years to the same person. Wonderful girl. I had three beautiful kids, but I was on the road every week. But I always made it a point to be home on the weekends, spend time with my, I have three boys, um, to spend time with my boys and um, and work with them as much as I could. And if they had things, they were all in the sports and basketball and stuff like that. So I would, I mean, I, I've chartered planes to get home in time for a basketball game. So, I mean, I did what I had to do to be there. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't always perfect. I mean, I, I got divorced after 28 years and, and, uh, you know, fortunately right now I'm with a wonderful young lady and we've been together for 15. So it's, um, it's something that that's probably the hardest thing. If you want to be an entrepreneur, I tell people now I'm trying to teach these guys to take over the business and, and, you know, let's say they show up at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock. And I'm like, guys, you know, my life was this job. I mean, 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I mean, I put the time in. And the only way you're going to get to that point is to put the time in. If you just want to work for a living and have a nine to five job, that's great. Then you should do that. But if you say, I want to be my own boss, then you better be ready to put in way more time than you think you're ever going to put in. It's just, it's just one of those things. Were you able to find a way to turn it off on, on certain times and step away or because I noticed, I mean, the people who we've had on the show are entrepreneurs, highly driven. It can be hard to, to flip that switch for them sometimes. Were you able to to segment those things? I, I can switch. I can flip the switch real easy. Um, I still, I, I love the golf. I don't get out as much as I want to. I fish. I love the fish. I mean, and, and I would travel. But when I had the opportunity to take three days or four days and go do something, I would go do it. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, this is the worst thing ever invented because you are in constant contact with everybody. I meant my cell phone, by the way, if people can't see it. I'm looking at this and answering and, and, and unfortunately, I'm as, as guilty as the next person because I feel that if somebody sends me an email or a text, I have to answer it now. You know, I have to get it off my plate. I... But I can turn it off. I go home at night. I can turn it off and do things. And and um, I read a book or I'll, you know, watch a, I don't watch TV, but I'll watch like a, a show that you know, maybe there was like, I don't know if you ever saw Weeds. Yeah. Yeah. Good show. Yeah. I watched all nine, nine seasons in about three weeks. <laughs> okay. So you can turn it off. Then. Yeah, you, can see, you can find the time. What about, what about the reading side? I'm interested in that. So 
the balance between working on the business and working on yourself and the self-improvement aspect. I don't know if you're, you were talking more casually reading or, or reading to advance your skill set, but what did that look like? I, more fiction. Um, Stephen King, you know, um, the mystery stories, love romances. I, I, there is no genre that I don't read. I don't read, read anymore. I listen now because I have glasses and it's just, you know, it's a lot easier to listen to a book than it is to read it. Um, but I always enjoy reading. The problem I have with those things is when I would read a book, I would read until four in the morning. I, I couldn't put a book down. I have to finish it because if I don't, then I'm thinking about the story Yep. and I want to get back to it. And that's the way I am with designs and things like that is, you know, once I get on them, I'm on them. A unique thing that I think I have that I don't know, maybe other people have is that I'll get a job and let's say you want to build a restaurant and you'll say to me, hey, we're going to build this restaurant and we want you to do the job and I give you a price and we have a contract and we'll talk about it. And then I won't look at it or pick it up for three or four weeks. But somewhere in my mind, in the back of my mind, this job is being designed. Then all of a sudden I'll say, okay, it's time to sit down. I'll sit down and I'll draw it all out. But I've been thinking about it that whole time, which to me, I don't know if that's normal or not normal, but it's just some, the way I've always done it, you know, and, and uh, if it's not ready to come out, it's not coming out. <laughs> it's like writer block or whatever, but right. um, it's, it's just, it's one of those things that's just ability I have. I mean, to see it in my mind and that's how I read too. I visualize, I see things, you know, the stories and, you know, I, I'm in living color. Our first sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So you mentioned grooming other individuals to take over the business. Probably a good point to talk about. What are your goals for the future? What are the goals for the company? So I'm 67, be 68 this March. I brought a young man in that went to Ohio State, construction management, known as family. They live in Cedarville. I brought Mark on. Um, we have an agreement that um, he'll do a six-year apprenticeship, basically. And we just finished our first year. And he said, I'm just like, I'm blown away by what it, all this is. And I said, you, you know, you have to spend the time and, and invest in it and make it work. He's made the commitment. I've made the commitment. We'll see where it goes. I think that uh, I'll still be involved probably for another, as long as I want to be, 10, 15 years. I mean, you don't, this industry, I've made so many friends, um, hospitality, and it's just to me, they're they're all still here and they'll always be here. So there's origin, there's conferences I'll go to and and yeah, I'll be the old guy there and hopefully everybody buy me drinks. So I won't have to buy my own drinks, but um, I still think I have a lot to offer. I don't feel, you know, 67. Uh, I probably won't feel 90 when I'm 90. My mind will always be where it was when I was, you know, learning in the beginning. What about, did you ever think about, and maybe this is a situation, but selling the business and walking away and being done? Or do you think that, you know, as, as from what, the way you describe yourself, I doubt you could ever just stop. It doesn't sound like, sounds like you're, you're very passionate about it too. But have you ever considered that? Um, yes. And, and no, I mean, to sell the business. And again, my business is a consulting business is a design business. So it's about the design and who can design and how they do it. So when you look at the business, yeah, if I had a, an office building and, and I had five or six people that were doing what I'm doing and I could sell it to somebody else that does what I do and they could control them, that's a possibility. But my clients are, 
are people I've worked with forever. And for me to say to them, hey, I'm going to sell my business, but I want you to use this guy. You know, relationships are what builds your business. And that relationship is, is my relationship. And I've been able to successfully transfer that over to other people with other clients. But I always still have that connection. So that if that person that worked for me left, which I've had people leave and go on their own, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side, but, um, and I've had a lot of people come back, but I don't think that, I mean, I don't think the value's there because it's me and I'm not selling me, I'm selling something else. So I don't think it'll ever, I'll ever sell it. I think I have to continue it. And that's where Mark comes in. And, and that's probably where I'll see my revenue over time. You know, there'll be a buyout, structured buyout or something. And then I have to stay to make sure I get paid. <laughs> yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, John, a couple last questions here uh, to, to wrap up the show. First one, before we get to the last question, you have any advice for our listeners out there? I think that if no matter what industry you're in, I think, again, I'm going to fall back on listening. If you want to get better at what you do, listen to the people around you, listen to other people. And by doing that, you'll understand them better. And by understanding them, you'll be able to communicate with them better and they'll be able to better understand you. You know, look at this world we're in right now. I think if we all just listened and then communicated as opposed to yelling and screaming, uh, I think we'd all be better off. Yeah, I think that would be uh, absolutely true. But uh, last question here on Conquering Columbus, John, wasn't on the outline. So it's, uh, but if you heard, if you listened to a couple of them, you might've heard it. Uh, the question is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How's it apply to your life? Occurring? I think of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've lived uncomfortably. Um, and, and my term or my definition of uncomfortably isn't uncomfortable. You know, it means it, to me, it's challenging yourself all the time. Be having you test your limits. That's that comfort level that you have. And um, when I heard it the first time, that's what I thought of. And I think it's a great tagline. I think that it's, um, it's challenging. And I think it gives you me, the person hearing it says to me, yeah, that's a good philosophy live uncomfortably because it's, um, it, it means you're always moving forward. As you reflect back in your life and career, maybe just one other final question to dovetail that. Is there anything that you, so it's a tough question. Maybe it's a little bit awkward to some extent. Anything that you would change? Would you, would you live it differently? Would you do it differently? Uh, yes and no. There are so many things we didn't even talk about that gave me the philosophies that I have. You know, when I was a lifeguard, meeting people, having, you know, I had people die on me when I was 16 years old. I mean, it's just, you know, your lifeguard, somebody drowns, it's, it's, it's life-changing. So I wouldn't change those things, even though I wish those people didn't die. But now the only thing I would change is very personal. So I'm not going to talk about it. Fair. Fair, fair enough. enough. Fair enough. Well, John, uh, thanks so much for joining us on the show today and sharing your story here on Conquering Columbus. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Um, I appreciate what you guys do. I think it's great. I love listening to your podcast. So thanks so much. And uh, everybody out there listening, that was John Egnor, founder and president of JME Hospitality. If you enjoyed that episode, drop a like, give us a rating. We appreciate you tuning in every week and we'll talk to you all next week.